Welcome back to the Book of Mormon with Grandma. Well, we talked last time about Lehi leaving Jerusalem. How do you think you would respond if you were told you had to leave your home tomorrow and leave almost everything you had behind? It's not just moving to a new place, but instead you'd be camping in the wilderness for an undetermined amount of time and you could only take with you what you needed to stay alive. How would you respond? And what would you take? Well, today we'll learn how some of Lehi's family responded and how it affected others. Let's go over to 1 Nephi 2, starting in verse 1. For behold, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto my father, yea, even in a dream, and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Lehi, because of the things which thou hast done, and because thou hast been faithful and declared unto this people the things which I commanded thee, behold, they seek to take away thy life. And it came to pass that the Lord commanded my father, even in a dream, that he should take his family and depart into the wilderness. And it came to pass that he was obedient unto the word of the Lord, wherefore he did as the Lord commanded him. And it came to pass that he departed into the wilderness, and he left his house and the land of his inheritance and his gold and his silver and his precious things and took nothing with him, save it were his family and provisions and tents and departed into the wilderness. So what did Lehi take with him? What was most precious to him? His family. He left all of his gold and silver. Lehi was a wealthy man. Most likely he was a trader with the Egyptians and had acquired, uh, had acquired a very nice inheritance, but he left it all behind to do as the Lord asked him to do. Elder Hugh Nibley says that there is more than ample evidence that Lehi was an expert on caravan travel. At a moment's notice, he was able to take his family, provisions, and tents out into the wilderness and took only those things that would be needed. Those who were traders with other areas would have traveled this way. Nibley also says that he seems to know where he's going, what he's doing. He also says that his family accuses him of being many things, but not ignorance of the desert. What has the Lord asked you to do that you have done and not thought about anything else, that have just gone ahead and done what the Lord asked you to do? Okay, let's go back to verse 5. And he came down by the borders near the shore of the Red Sea, and he traveled in the wilderness in the borders which are near the Red Sea, and he did travel in the wilderness with his family, which consisted of my mother Sariah and my elder brothers who were Laman, Lemuel, and Sam. And it came to pass that when he had traveled three days in the wilderness, he pitched his tent in a valley by the side of a river of water. Well, again, Elder Nibley says they went the only way that they could go, and that was south. There was danger coming from the north, and the eastern and western lands were held by opposing powers. So only the south was where Lehi would have felt it was safe, where the merchants and the traders would have traveled. When we hear that they were in the wilderness for eight years, we have to understand that they would have to stop and plant crops for food on their journey and wait for the harvest. In an old student manual that I found, it said this, In North America, all rivers are rivers of water. But in the Middle East, year-round rivers are few in numbers. During the winter rains, thousands of wadis or dry stream beds become rivers too. In the months when it does not rain, these wadis would not be rivers of water. That was a student manual. So a perfect time to plant and harvest when there are winter rains that come. Lehi and Sariah also had two more children in the wilderness, and time would have been had to wait for childbirth. In our day, when we can travel and arrive in an airplane in a few hours, it took so long for them to travel. I went to Brigham Young 
the Brigham Young home tour, and the docent there said it took them two weeks to travel from Salt Lake to St. George. Well, we gasp at that when it only takes hours in a car. But travel then, compared to now, is very, very different. Okay, let's go back to verse 7. And it came to pass that he built an altar of stones and made an offering unto the Lord and gave thanks unto the Lord our God. You need to remember that Lehi and his family are Jews, and they keep the law of Moses. The Book of Mormon people will keep the law of Moses until the Savior comes, which is in Third Nephi. So Lehi does as the Lord commands him, and as the law of Moses says, and he makes an altar of stones to offer thanks to the Lord. Then he names the river for a reason, which we'll find out in a minute. Okay, let's go on. He talked about mur- We talked about murmuring in the last podcast when Nephi tells us how we can become highly favored of the Lord, and number one was not to murmur. Have you ever murmured? I hate to admit that I have. I won't tell you how or where, but I've done my share. What about you? Ever murmured when your parent or someone in the church asks you to do something you don't want to do? Well, now we see two brothers that struggle with this journey and make their discontent known. This is in verse 11. And here is the reason that Lehi named the river. Now at this he spake because of the stiff-neckedness of Laman and Lemuel. For behold, they did murmur in many things against their father, because he was a visionary man, and had led them out of the land of Jerusalem to leave the land of their inheritance, and their gold and their silver and their precious things to perish in the wilderness. And this they said he had done because of the foolish imaginations of his heart. And thus Laman and Lemuel, being the eldest, did murmur against their father. And they did murmur because they knew not the dealings of that God who had created them. Neither did they believe that Jerusalem, that great city, could be destroyed, according to the words of the prophets. And they were likened to the Jews who were at Jerusalem who sought to take away the life of my father. Imagine having traveled for three days listening to the murmurings of your two eldest sons, the whole way. I can remember traveling in the car and hearing my children say, are we there yet? Every 30 minutes or so. That was annoying enough, but imagine the things that Laman and Lemuel said along the way. Oh my goodness, Dad, you're a visionary man. And they meant that as a a complaint, not a compliment. What are some other things you might hear in your mind, hear what they say? Well, here's what I imagine. You brought us out in the wilderness. We had to leave everything we owned back there. We were rich in Jerusalem, and now we're out here in a tent for Ham's sake. We can't go to Paul's fun center and meet our friends. The city of Jerusalem is not going to be destroyed. That'll never happen. You're making all that up, and we're all going to die out here. Well, Lehi names the river Laman because he hopes that he'll be like that river one day. I hope, Laman, that you'll follow the paths of righteousness and always seek the Lord. Just like this river flows into the Red Sea, I hope you will follow the commandments that lead you to the Lord. And then he turns and he names the valley Lemuel, because he hopes Lemuel will be like that valley, firm and steadfast and immovable in keeping the commandments of God. He hopes that as people look at the valley as some place they can go for refuge and peace, that Lemuel will be strong enough for people to come to him for that same thing. Lehi knows that they're struggling, and he tries to help them with such beautiful wishes to help them. But as we all see now and down the road, little helps them because their hearts are back in Jerusalem with their riches and the things of the world. 
Now, what does Nephi say is another problem? He says, they knew nothing about the way the Lord works, and neither have they asked. Why didn't Laman and Lemuel know the dealings of God? Why didn't they believe their father was a prophet? Well, Joseph Fielding McConkie said this, those who have failed to obtain the needed witness of the particular work or doctrine involved lack the proper perspective and thus are unable to view things from a divine perspective. Murmuring and complaining simply disclose an uncommitted soul. Commitment and obedience bring understanding that cannot be otherwise be had. Elder H. Ross Workman of the 70s says this, Murmuring consists of three steps, each leading to the next in a descending path to disobedience. First, people begin to question. They question first in their own minds, and then they plant questions in the minds of others. Second, those who murmur begin to rationalize and excuse themselves from doing what they have been instructed to do. Thus, they make an excuse for disobedience. Their excuses lead to the third step, slothfulness in following the commandment of the Master. I invite you to focus on the commandment from living prophets that bothers you the most. Do you question whether the commandment is applicable to you? Do you find ready excuses why you cannot now comply with the commandment? Do you feel frustrated or irritated with those who remind you of the commandment? Are you slothful in keeping it? Beware of the deception of the adversary. Beware of murmuring. You know, when I read that, years ago, but when I read it anew just now, I was convicted in my soul, convicted in my soul, because I have been guilty of murmuring that same way. I am going to repent. Satan would love for us to murmur because when we do, it keeps us from doing what we should do, from following the prophet and from following those who have our best interest at heart, like Laman and Lemuel and Lemuel's father, Lehi, or our own parents. So livid were Laman and Lemuel about their situation that Nephi compares them to the Jews in Jerusalem who want to take away the life of his father. How does one become that way? When does what you want in life become more important than the love and lives of your own family? Sometimes we reject the message even if the message comes from our own parents, or in this case, their father. Elder Neil A. Maxwell said, Laman and Lemuel likewise didn't understand that the dealings of God included using prophets to warn people. The Lord had so called Lehi, but Laman and Lemuel were apparently embarrassed by their father's unpopular role and by his stern challenge to Jerusalem's then prevailing mentality. Spiritually numbed, Laman and Lemuel felt that the people of Jerusalem were undeserving of prophetic criticisms leveled. Thus, Laman and Lemuel did not understand the relationship of mortals with God, and worse still, they did not really want to understand. They sought to keep their distance from God. Furthermore, being intellectually lazy, they did not count their blessings when gratitude could have lessened the distance. But it was never inventory time for Laman and Lemuel. Hence, Laman and Lemuel became rebels instead of leaders, resentful instead of righteous, all because of their failure to understand either the character or the purposes of God and his dealings with his children. That was Elder Maxwell. I love that quote.
Such flawed individuals that preferred to remain that way instead of becoming who they could have become. Someone once said, well, why didn't they just leave Laman and Lemuel behind in Jerusalem then if they were going to be such a putz about it? Well, ask yourself the same question. Is there anyone you would want to leave behind knowing the place you left would be destroyed? Is there anyone you love that you would place beyond the reach of rescue? Amazing. Now watch what happens. This is back to 14. And it came to pass that my father did speak unto them in the valley of Lemuel with power, being filled with the Spirit until their frames did shake before them, and he did confound them that they durst not utter against him, wherefore they did as he commanded. Lehi is filled with the Spirit and such power from the Lord that Laman and Lemuel feel the power of the Spirit to the point that they felt it in their bones and their whole body shook. But, as with other situations, without a testimony of the gospel or the things of the Lord, these opportunities for the Spirit are temporary. And unless you change or get a testimony yourself, it doesn't last. We saw this last year as well when we studied the New Testament. Jesus, time after time, was able to confront and confound the Jews, and yet they were not convinced that he was the Messiah. And in fact, often they became worse than before. We'll see a few more times that Laman and Lemuel are given opportunities to feel the Spirit, including seeing an angel and hearing the voice of God. But it's not enough to change them until they want to change, until they do the work to find out for themselves and leave the world behind. That message is also for us. So just because they did as he commanded doesn't mean they believed. But imagine how this affects the rest of the family. Everyone is hearing these two go on and on about how bad life is. For Nephi, however, he sees how his brothers act and determines that it's not going to be him. I remember when my children were growing up, oftentimes one of them would see the other get in trouble for something and determine within themselves they were not going to do that thing and get in trouble. Nephi is young, and he's watching his brothers do this kind of stuff. And let's go on to verse 16 and see how what Nephi does. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, being exceedingly young, nevertheless being large in stature, and also having great desires to know of the mysteries of God, wherefore I did cry unto the Lord, and behold, he did visit me, and did soften my heart, that I did believe all the words which had been spoken by my father. Wherefore I did not rebel against him like unto my brothers. Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler talk about this in their book. David Butler tells the story of his friend who lived on a dairy farm growing up. Listen to the rest of the story. He was assigned several jobs and chores that he dreaded. One of those was moving pipes in the middle of the night to make sure that the land and the cattle got the water they needed. Well, one early morning about 2 a.m., he went out to move the pipes and got the truck stuck in a ditch. He tried and tried to get out, but no luck. He sat in the bed of the truck, tired, cold, and covered in mud, and wondered to himself, who can I call for help? No one was awake. He was out in the mud. There aren't many people willing or able at a time and situation like that. But instinctively, he thought of his dad. He called him on the cell phone and woke, up, woke him up. The conversation was simple. Dad, I need help. The answer was a groggy but willing, I'll be right there. Within 10 minutes, my friend's dad had come with a tractor and a tow line to get him out. Not many people have permission to wake up a hard-working farmer in the middle of the night and expect or even get a response, but a son can. Children always have permission. 
and they can always expect an answer. Nephi knew this too. He had a need, a desire. He felt like he was stuck out in the cold in his search for truth. So he cried into his father for help. Just like you would expect a father would, the Lord came and visited his son. God is always available. He is willing and able and anxious to hear our pleas and come to our relief. It's what fathers do. That was David Butler. It's what fathers do. They, yes, they come to our rescue. They come to our aid whenever and wherever we need it. Nephi learned that he could go to the Lord, and the Lord would answer his prayers and tell him what he needed to know, that his father was a visionary man, a compliment this time, and that everything his father had taught him since his youth had been true. There it is, there it is again, as Elder Holland said, revelation. His testimony received from the Lord was the thing that carried him through all the afflictions he talked about in chapter 1 those with his brothers, and the journey to the promised land. Joseph Fielding McConkie says this again. This verse gives us a key to understanding some of the differences between Nephi and his two older brothers. Nephi sought the Lord early and earnestly and found him. Laman and Lemuel would not so much as begin the spiritual odyssey. Nephi could view things, good and bad, blessings and trials, from an elevated perspective. Laman and Lemuel continued to refuse the vantage point of higher ground. That was Joseph Fielding McConkie. Now, having found out for himself, he goes to speak to his brothers. This is in verse 17. And I spake unto Sam, making known unto him the things which the Lord had manifested unto me by his Holy Spirit, and it came to pass that he believed in my words. Now, he tries to tell his older brothers, but typical of older brothers to their younger siblings, they're not going to listen to him. This is 18. But behold, Laman and Lemuel would not hearken unto my words, and being grieved because of the hardness of their hearts, I cried unto the Lord for them. When all else fails, we go to our knees in prayer for those we love. But this chapter ends with a promise that Nephi tells us we can expect if we keep the commandments. This is in verse 20. And inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper, and shall be led to a land of promise, yea, even a land which I have prepared for you, yea, a land which is choice above all other lands. Did you hear the promise? If ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper. Elder Bruce R. McConkie said this, Obedience is the first law of heaven. All progression, all perfection, all salvation, all godliness, all that is right and just and true, all good things come to those who live the laws of him who is eternal. There is nothing in all eternity more important than to keep the commandments of God. That was Bruce R. McConkie. I myself have quoted Doctrine and Covenants 82.10 over and over again, that the Lord has always promised, I the Lord am bound when you do what I say, but when you do not what I say, you have no promise. The Lord promises that according to the laws of heaven, that when we keep his commandments, he's bound by those laws of heaven to bless you for keeping them. But you cannot expect the blessing if you do not keep them. I think we can sometimes be critical of this Lehi's family, but I swear if we look at our families today, we can see so much of ourselves sometimes in the Book of Mormon and how families can be rather dysfunctional then as now. I always say that Nephi truly could have left all of this out, and we would have thought they were just one big happy family. 
but this Book of Mormon was written for our day, and they put things in there that apply to us, and we need to find ourselves in it. This is one way we can. Our families today have many of the same problems. No, we may not be camping in the wilderness for eight years or leaving our riches behind, but think to yourselves what you murmur about today. I did. What struggles do you face with your own family? So, until next time. 